0: <laughs> uh so he said he said very enthusiastically he said let's go which means hello we are live on the internet in places and <laughs> in, in, in a whole variety of places and it's rather quiet over here let's get some background music going because I forgot to do that let's do this
1: stuff from yeah tell you yeah know but it is ten o'clock in the evening over here in the UK. What time is it with you where you are in the in the States? Uh it is Boy. two PM. Two in the it afternoon. Okay. Oh. It's, uh, it's okay. You you get plenty of time just to chill out and have a nice afternoon.
0: Yeah. And I realized that there's like a bunch of stuff that I didn't do before the show. Like turn it to pre show and get the music going. But hey everybody, we're here. We're here. Yes. Well, that's why
1: uh, we have a pre show in order just to is,
0: get- exactly <laughs> roll this stuff out isn't it so if i had just gone live right now for the Mm -hmm. actual show it would have been a disaster yeah well yes it's uh would have been a um, uh yeah a um crazy thing but anyway yeah we're here um tonight we're talking about drones and flying them uh for one person to many drones um i can barely fly a drone on my own though uh, i haven't done a while but um I've never actually tried to fly a drone. I've not like yeah, because I mean you gotta get them
1: registered now and everything and uh Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean I haven't done it for a bit, but I did get one um oh crikey, it must be now six or seven years ago. Um might even be more than that. Um just to play about with it and and you know, that was when you didn't have to register them and stuff and um do play with it, which was quite cool. But I was also really intrigued because you could buy this one type of drone which i can't remember the name of and combine it with a really rudimentary um um e k e c g whichever the one is the brain one which i always get mixed up um Uh, electroencephalogram e e g -G. yep um so there's a very simple version of that and you could actually fly the drone using your brain signals that's Um, cool which was cool except it wasn't it was one of these things that you were thinking that when i was messing about with it was thinking well clearly you're going to go think fly over there and it's going to fly over there it doesn't do that at all no uh, you have well, to sort of think, yeah you're basically just um igniting parts of the brain and you just you have to think about like to like do, up, um, up, yeah. Up, yeah forward yeah. forward um, it's not like go over there and it's even not- more basic than that but it was um it was quite cool you know um but i did try i I did try with. A few I spent more time breaking it than I did actually flying it. I think. <laughs> um, so, but then, by the way, is,
0: yeah. quick, quick, shameless plug. The only reason I knew the difference between, uh, or, or I, I, I could recall, sorry, electroencephalogram, was because we are recently putting together one for a human factors minute. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> plug true, yes, yeah. plug for that.
1: Yeah. Um, to be fair, when we to, when we were in the lab the other day and talking about. Which, Doing some of them, um, the fact that I couldn't even say it, never mind, <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Do a minute about it. I was like, it'll take me a minute just to work out how to say it. So, um, yeah, that's got my. That's, um, All right.
0: Well, we we do have a pre-show to uh, to get some stuff in line. I think the main Pretty show good. is good, but in the yeah. pre-show, we typically like to pull out some of these. Uh, uh, the the it came froms and. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it's percent. been 2 weeks actually because we were off last week uh both feeling unwell um and we're feeling great now. We're on, we're on a good one. We're on a good one now. <laughs> let's let's just say let's say that. Yes. Yes
1: um, we are. So back to oh
0: What was the date? So back I, to I don't Thursday, know. It? it was in January. Yeah. That's like in a minute or two. In a human factors minute or two.
1: So, oh, okay, because we talked about tipping in user experience. We talked about it in the last pre-show that we did. So we're well ahead of that. Yes.
0: Uh, let's see here. I am going to pull up on my end and see if there's anything fun uh, that I would like to talk about here.
1: And we will see. Yes. Um. Oh, we did that one because that was about the project manager, micro management. Micro-management. Um, oh, I, have to, yeah, I haven't looked at this since the twentieth because it's actually giving. Discord is quite good like that, isn't it? It does give you it tells you when, yeah, yeah. That is. Yeah. Uh, you, you think that maybe they've, they've got like some UX people involved or something?
0: I really do like Discord. Um, it's it's a fun, easy to use. Like once you get used to it, there's. Some little weirdness things when you get acclimated to it, but yeah, overall, it's it's pretty great um, for this type of thing. And what gives? I my my Discord feed stops after February fourth. You? Oh, oh yeah. All right, so this is going to be a little bit of a manual process. We're gonna have to go out. You, you,
1: you've broken it. Well, so that there are a couple of ones in here that I've seen. So there's one on the 20th of the 1st around whiteboarding challenge prep. So yeah, I'm quite yeah. fine of whiteboarding, so.
0: You know what? I'm going to pull up, uh, see if there's anything. Oh, well, that one was five days ago. So that one makes sense. But why is it not pulling in user experience stuff, I wonder? I wonder if uh, some of our automation is broken.
1: I was going to say, yeah, have, have you broken something?
0: It certainly feels that way. It's okay. I Um, break a lot of things.
1: Short short term, I'm going to copy across that one, so at least, at least then you can tell me you don't like it, and we can somewhere else.
0: Uh, Wait, did you post it in? Oh yeah. Okay. Um, Uh, I'm I'm looking right now on um, the user experience subreddit here. Eight days ago. Move them away. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Let's just see. Five days ago was when that one's okay. Why doesn't okay? So, what's the best way to analyze? It's a junior question. <laughs> um, if, efficiently. <laughs> is, is Craigslist a good or bad example of UX? Do you all have Craigslist?
1: Oh no, I I've heard of it only because you hear of it around, but no, I've um never. You never know what? This would be a wonderful experiment.
0: Hey Barry, why don't you navigate to Craigslist?
1: Go Just Google
0: on. it, uh, because there's going to be many
1: different cities and towns. You could use any of them. Oh, we do have Craigslist in, in the UK. Apparently, there was a choose a city nearest to you. Oh, Cardiff. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you tell me about we do that have... UX over there. Holy, wow! That's that's light. Um... <laughs> but. <oof. laughs> Oh, that's light. Oh they, Yeah. <laughs> I like that I like the, the the sort of one size font for all your bits and then the, I mean, the writing. Oh that's weird. Oh, I don't like this with a whole lot of not liking this. Um some, what am I actually interested in? Let's see. Oh, Here's Nordic. one
0: that I feel like is incredibly important, but I don't feel qualified to answer it. I feel like we should still bring it up.
1: um so still me in the past.
0: Uh, so, well, this one might stop you. You ready? Right. Anyone the only woman in their product team at a tech company? Uh, yeah. I mean, not we, we, yeah, not <laughs> exactly right. Like uh, they go on. Right. I'm, I'm in a team of seven engineers, three designers. And I'm the only woman. Had uh, two other product design jobs before. It was usually a mix since they were both at design studios. Now that I'm working for a tech company, I guess it's the norm. I'm a little intimidated because I'm also the youngest, um, but I try not to show it or fully remote. Anyone ever been the only woman in their product team and how was it for you? So,
1: yes, we can't answer that question. Uh, no, but, but we, could, we could spring use it as a springboard. Because we certainly can, could. And comment because on us to make people you know comfortable and, women and or younger people or whatever to feel comfortable in the team and actually it's it's, it's a real it's a for me it's a real leadership thing yeah but, um it's up to the leaders and and the established members of the team to actually make everybody feel comfortable regardless um but then it's quite a short answer because it just should be you just should do it and yeah
0: i mean you know the the um the the distribution i would say is almost the opposite in my experience i um you know i guess my team is half and half right now in the past i've worked on an all male team i've also worked on uh you know a team where i was the only male too so it's like you know there's there's different structures out there and i think yeah a big part of it from at least from the from you're two white dudes talking about it uh, from our perspective, you know, one, we have to advocate for other people to, like you said, make people feel comfortable. Like we can't be fucking creepy. Like that's just, you know, that's a bare minimum. Yeah. <laughs> and if you see somebody being creepy, you say something about it and say, Hey, look, you really made so-and-so uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, um, cool, yeah.
0: exactly. Um, and, and make them c- uncomfortable in turn for doing, uh, you know, behaviors that, <laughs> are not socially acceptable um that's about all i can say from it and and you know what i think we've i think we've touched think on we've it, it. <laughs> in the pre-show
1: so we'll 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 leave it there um I,
0: i'm gonna look through a couple more of these
1: well interestingly because i don't really i rarely look at reddit itself the only, t- the only place i really read reddit is through a discord feed um so i've just pulled it up to have a look and see that and so i just gone to reddit.com and the first thing right at the top is people who don't sleep naked why so I guess it's a comfort thing. So that there is a there is that question there, but it's just like what? See the sell- the <laughs> the the. I think the problem is that you
0: are not on a specific subreddit, which are no, like community. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is probably an Ask Reddit, uh, very general. Um, yeah, we look we look through some uh, specific um, subreddits that will. Kind of focus on on these areas uh so hci is one uh usability user experience design uh human factors of course ixd is another one uh and so we're, we're pulling all these sources together and we pull from these subreddits uh the questions that we feel are most relevant to the human factors field or can be framed from the human factors field it's a little bit of uh, inside baseball for anyone who's um who's been following us for a while, wants to know how we actually pick these sources mm-hmm. and, and uh, pull them. Um, there's usually, you know what I never do? Is there's a career questions monthly feed, right? That, that usually just people just ask a bunch of questions in. I never looked through that. And I'm sure there's like a gold, gold mine of
1: stuff in there. Um, Apparently Reddit has suspended my account due, due to suspicious activity oh that's not great well because i don't really use reddit anyway so I, I obviously i didn't make a login so i've just logged in for <laughs> the first time in a long time um but um, but i can continue using it by resetting my password which is great so gosh yes that they have suspended my account so let's, let's go and back and reset that um <laughs> Oh, the, things, the things you do just to just to try and get a show together. No kidding. Uh, Put in the right account as well. It must be a well, because it's actually to an, an older email address. Um, Ooh, here's, okay. How do you feel about this one?
0: Hey, all, I'm a career changer into UX, and despite a lot of effort, I've definitely reached the long-term unemployment zone. Uh This one's a long one, but the question is how can I solve my assumed weaknesses as a UX applicant from interview feedback and guesswork. Um and they've listed a bunch of assumptions. I think this is a great question. But um thoughts. Like have you have you ever dealt with long-term
1: unemployment? Thankfully, Twitchwood, no. Um though I have I guess flexed what i've done a bit because i've gone from software through to sorry i've gone from military to software to hf through to well see now um hf and research and business management and all that sort of stuff so thankfully no i've, I've always um avoid i've always like you know been able to make people believe that they need me um yeah. or worse
0: i mean you and i are both privileged too uh we're we're white we're male um and beyond that we are fairly awesome i was gonna say we're fairly prominent presences we're fairly present in the field uh yes we we host the two biggest podcasts on human factors
1: (laughs) that's true yes it's uh so, so they said on whatever magazine. No, we, I went back and looked at that because I was saying to somebody else that both me and you were listed on on this thing of, of best. Uh, you go back to the actual thing and the actual magazine thing just doesn't exist anymore. And I was like, Oh well, um,
0: magazine doesn't exist.
1: I think it's what yeah. Wait, well, as well, it's not there. And I was like, Okay, maybe that says a lot about that we yeah, we have that said that um, that we did. Um, but no, that, that that could be a. An interesting one to um to play with. Yeah, I'm I'm still
0: not sold on it, but um think it's interesting it's, enough. Wait, it, maybe...
1: We can put it in there and then if we um
0: yeah, there's I mean there's a lot to go off of. And this is I, I kind of wish Blake was on this week. Um because he usually when he answers Reddit questions, he's like, I wish I had some more context. And this one, you'll see Barry, this one has a ton of context. Look at that. Wow um, Wow. Yeah, so that's there's that's more, quite a bit, there's, right? There's more context than we have in the show, <laughs> right? More than our show notes. What's going on? Uh, Kaiju corgi. Cor, Kaiju corgi. Hey, no, Wealth Magazine still what are you talking about Barry. I, I, I see it right here.
1: I, okay, I don't sec. Uh... I don't
0: know. Maybe you got the link wrong or something, or uh... hey, possibly. Yeah, twenty uh, best twenty best human factors podcasts of twenty twenty one with forty shares. Uh and it was eight months ago, so yes, we are both on there. Yeah, and i I'm, I'm i just point out I'm at number one still. Yeah, you know what? It's it's not yeah. numbered, so uh yikes.
1: <laughs> In my mind, it's mine.
0: Look, I'll let you have it, because chartable tells me uh you know, we're doing we're doing all right over here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it does make it, I think we said this at the time where we talked about going, Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't want it. And I've got a whole at that point. I had a whole of 20 episodes, which was a lie. Actually, we had more than that. But anyway, 20 episodes. Yeah, great. And then the next one down, um, SA matters or situation awareness matters 378. Yeah, um, practice cats 264. And I was like, there's no way that that is ordered in, in priority order from me with a, a mere 20 episodes. Um, Compared to the others, um, yeah. I, oh, I didn't even four. look at the number aviation, of those. Yeah, aviation intelligence was at, at eight. So I guess okay, I'll, I'll take that.
0: Oh, curiosity <laughs> uh, mishmash yeah. at four. You know what? I bet they did. Is they probably just searched human factors and was like, ah, oh, there's not very much here. Let's just pick. <laughs> yeah, because actually, military psychology podcast network had eight episodes at the time. Yeah. Um, you know what, though? L- look, I was. This is a little bit inside baseball here again, too. But if you are interested in the podcasting world, there's a service that we use called Chartable. You're on Chartable, too, right? Mm -hmm. And it kind of tells you where you're at. And, you know, I was looking at the number of podcasts out there. It's like over two million podcasts or something like it's something nuts. Uh, And so when you look at global podcast rank, Human Factors Cast is at six thousand four hundred twenty eight out of two million plus. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. You know, we we categorize ourselves as technology over here. I don't know what you categorize yourself as science, maybe. Uh, or social technology, science. Social science. Yeah. Uh, at, at least in the technology realm. I feel like these are pretty good numbers. We are ranked, what, it, it, for global technology, we're 250. And for USA technology, we're 214. So I am pretty happy with that, that we're in our niche. Uh, you know, we're, we're up there. And... um, yeah that makes me happy
1: sorry, I was gonna say I, where do you because it's, the it's side, uh, I, can see the, I can see the five lists for so it gives me charts at Atlantis and it gets so it gives me breakdowns yeah. from individuals but I can't see the overall overall rating maybe I just haven't got it, haven't it's got, rank uh, it, it says rank right next to it so uh yeah but that, but that gives me in the different you know I've got U- USA social science GB social science Australia social science but I haven't got an overall global rank Oh,
0: see, yeah, I have. Uh, it says podcast global, all podcasts. Oh, I. So here, let me to... let me actually share my screen with you.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious to see where you rank on that. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe maybe they just don't. They want to let me down gently, and oh, you just can't yeah, see that maybe. because I'm I'm not there. Oh, hello.
0: Yeah, here. Uh, so so you can see here. Uh, mine says right here,
1: six four two eight uh for, yeah, for global I, I,
0: all podcast reach you don't have that
1: no i don't have anything like that at all oh why don't i really have that Whoa. hey india we're, hey. we're moving up in india look at that i was gonna say i'm in I'm, i've moved up in um in the uk i'm now 185 for social 65. science for social science nice um 233 in australia 212 in france uh 189 in Sweden Sweden okay but I've fallen out the rankings in in the United States it seems yeah I don't
0: I don't know so if if you go to charts on the left hand side does it give you more information I guess not um if you see charts, charts abroad but not in your home country uh it's because you're not currently appearing on the charts in your home country right yeah
1: I've got so I've got home country stuff. I I don't have a global ranking, so you might not be appearing on that global chart then. No, just, I probably not. Uh, I, 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 I'm I'm yeah. That's depressing. Isn't
0: it? You know, I'm I am curious as to like what, how how far de- like how far. I guess they they
1: huh, they list the
0: top eighteen
1: thousand three hundred eighty-seven. True. So. Oh it says I don't oh maybe I just haven't got it quite set up right. Also because Oh, I know why it is. It's using the wrong feed. Oh. I have since I moved to Podpage, I haven't updated where the feed comes from. Oh, you, you changed that the is. feed when you did podpage? Yes, because my original feed was coming through because I had a WordPress site and um my feed was actually coming from my WordPress site because I ah. my, it's hosted by Blueberry and they specialize in doing through WordPress sites. And so now my actual feed comes straight from Blueberry. Um, okay. Yeah, well, now I'm, I'm, I'm curious experience.
0: because I, yeah, I want to know where you fit. And um, I,
1: I can hopefully find this out fairly quickly. Where's my... <laughs> no. I need to find my RSS feed again.
0: Well, I'm hearing a lot of kickback. What's going on? What uh, from? I don't know. I was just hearing the music. Uh, really uh, loud. Okay. I
1: um.
2: What
1: we, uh, yeah, Everybody else should talk amongst yourselves whilst I work out why I might, whilst my thing isn't working.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? I'm just looking for questions here and I'm not finding really any great ones here at a glance. So I think we might have to dig into the bank tonight because we are eight minutes out.
1: Yes, we and, probably should do something, shouldn't we?
0: And I'm, yeah, I'm thinking that, um, Yes, we probably should. Right. That's, that's my... B...
2: Be... Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, so so here's what we're going to do. You, you put in the whiteboarding one. I'm going to look at this. Whiteboarding challenge prep help. I've only done one whiteboarding challenge. Kind of awkward. Okay. Um... Yeah, we can talk about that one. That's fine.
1: Yeah, and then, I quite like it only because I did a whiteboarding session this week. And it was interesting seeing it from my one of my newest employees' point of view. Great. He was, re- he was really nervous about it, where I was like, yeah, it's cool. I enjoy doing this sort of stuff. Cool. We'll do that.
0: And then um, let's pull... Uh, you know what? I'm going to go way back. I'm going to go deep. Um. oh okay i like this one what do you think about this one i have the opportunity to do two projects in the final semester of my senior year what types of projects would be the most impressive to an employer or what types of projects are underrated and fun that's that's the that's the title i i like this question because i have a very specific answer
1: okay um
0: And if you're okay with it, I'm all right with that. Don't all right, let's happens. do it. I think we have our three then. So that means we are talking about um, the long unemployment. We'll we'll talk about that one last because it's well, we'll do it in order of uh, of uh, date, I guess. So we'll do that. Yeah. All right. This is this is gonna be great. I think uh, we got we have a great slate of questions uh, tonight. So I am looking forward to that. If you are watching live and have a question, feel free to drop that for us. We'll <laughs> we might prioritize that over some of these. Um, so uh, other than that, I think we're good to go with the show notes just about uh, a couple things to clean up here. But overall. Um,
1: I'm gonna have to just unclick that because that's gonna irritate me. Yeah. You now that child, I know is he's, he's working on a different thing, and uh, um, I want to um, not play with it until until I can fix it, because it irritates me. Oh yeah, you gotta wait for some data, I think, <laughs> before it all. But no, it, it's not taking the uh, the new. Oh shoot, feed. That's which is, not uh, great. But then it's interesting because if it's not taking the new feed, how is it getting some of the results yet, not all the results? Um, it depends. So if you pulled the WordPress one, um, it's likely
0: that it's pulling wherever your WordPress is linked to. So, if, you know, like if you missed one and it's still WordPress for Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or whatever, if you missed one, it's still pulling from those, but it's not pulling from.
1: But it can't uh, pull from them because it doesn't exist through them anymore. So it's not. Because that bit, I've literally switched there's, it off. There's pass so. through.
0: There's pass through sometimes. So if, if it's referencing an old link, it'll
1: pass through to the blueberry. Possibly. Yeah. Oh, no. So, yeah, because it, it should be 403. Yeah. So, yes. Okay. that That's that, be why somebody's going through. Yes. Yeah. Right, anyway, so so
0: you, you got some data, and I, I would imagine that's. Um, not the full picture but it's it's got some good data in there i'd imagine yes
1: um I'm, i don't yeah. get as data obsessed obsessed anyway he says when getting whilst he's getting data obsessed <laughs> uh, the, uh
0: you saw me at
1: last last friday's uh lab going over <laughs> all the data You uh, you're more about the data than i am i think it's uh but uh but you, you've got better data to work with so
0: Yeah, you know, we we do like our, uh, we, we like to track how we're doing. Indeed. You know, I, I think it's certainly a good habit to get into because, um, you know, if we didn't track, we wouldn't know. Yeah. We, we wouldn't know if like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we got,
1: you know. That's what, where I do like Blueberry to a certain extent is because every time you log in, it gives you a really nice stats page. Um, and, and I'm very close to, or relatively close to my first 10,000, my f- first ten thousand download. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's exciting. That's, that's going to happen in the next month or so, I think. So, or quicker if people do it.
0: The call to action to go sub, uh, and, and listen. Barry's podcast. Mr. Podcast, a human factors cast. If you like the content you enjoy here, uh, Barry's got uh, like we said, a sister podcast over there where he does kind of the interview uh, side of things.
1: It's quite nice because the interview I did this week then hooked up with the interview that you did, um, or the, the, the episode that you did on, on yeah. Farm-
0: which was quite <laughs> neat. When they posted on Twitter, I, I had to jump in. And I was like, oh yeah, Barry told me about this one. I got to I gotta at least let them know that
1: I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, um, and then let. led um, to Jill then downloading yours and, and lots of stuff. And so that and 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 human factors um something was made. Look <laughs> I mean, why human factors babies were made, but that, that's not <laughs> right, that's not how it works, is it really? <laughs> wrong analogy, wrong analogy. <laughs> oh, I think we should possibly just go well, is this the right point to go live? That that's yeah, you know we are about to go live. So uh
0: hey, if you're sticking with us we are, you know what? Actually, hang on. Before we go live, I do have to do one more thing here in the show notes, or else I will forget it. It's at the top, so I can't like budget while you're reading stuff. Uh, hang on, right? Okay, one second. <laughs> Otherwise, we could just go live now. Give me a second. Paste without formatting. We're gonna be talking about um, uh, types of projects. It's Cool. that would be the projects that would be impressive to an employer that's good uh our thoughts on whiteboarding i promise we're almost going to start the show give me a minute I feel like I'm letting everybody who's watching live down. It's just like, "Ah." and last, you know, the podcast down. addressing the long-term
1: unemployment zone. All right. Okay. Barry, you good? I am awesome. And can't wait to get started.
0: Excellent. Me too. We are going to be right back after this short intro for a wonderful show. We'll see you right back.
2: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design.
0: Hello, everybody. It is episode 234. We're recording this live on February 10th, 2022. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I am joined today by the wonderful Mr. Barry Kirby. Wonderful.
1: I've been promoted. Great to be here. How are you doing?
0: You've been promoted, yes. I'm doing great, and we have a great show for you all tonight. We're going to be talking about how you can fly 130 drones all by yourself, and later we're going to answer some questions from the community about uh, the types of projects that would be most impressive to an employer, our thoughts on whiteboarding, and we're going to address the long-term unemployment zone should have put some echo effect on that but first hey, programming notes I just want to welcome uh, two new members uh, to our lab Um, really excited to have Reese and Karime in our lab Uh, welcome and if you are interested in the human factors digital media lab we are always looking for talent people who are passionate about producing human factors content or, you know, just getting involved with the podcast. If you want to see it from behind the scenes, you can do it that way, too. Anyway, we know why you're here. You're here for the news. So why don't we go ahead and get into it? Yes, this is the part of the show all about human factors news. This
1: week, we got a good one. Barry, what is the story this week? So this week, we're talking about how new military technology... Let's one person fly a swarm of 130 drones. In an example of the growth of, in autonomous and remote capabilities, the Pentagon has helped develop technology that allows a single person to control 130 drones for US military operations. Behind the project is defense contractor company Raytheon, which is working with the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency or DARPA. The team has successfully tested their technology in an indoor and outdoor urban setting according to the press release for, from the company. Doug, does the Offensive Swarm Enable Tactics, offset, military, gotta love a good acronym, the swarm was made up of 130 physical drones, as well as 30 simulated drones. Raytheon claimed that the software and hardware used in the swarm allow an operator to command a swarm with minimal training. The operator controlling the swarm won't be so much sat at a desk with a joystick. Instead, they'll be using virtual reality interface. That allows them to look through each drone individually. This creates an interactive virtual view of the environment. The release said. Nick, do you want to have 130 drones at your beck and call? How do you feel about the article?
0: Look, I think there's a lot of really cool technology going on here. Uh, what what the blurb that we wrote doesn't actually mention is that they are actually allowing for voice commands as well, which is you know a really interesting uh, way to command drones, especially when combined with VR. Um, you know, if it, if it weren't for its application, just warfare, uh, it'd be a super neat thing to play with. Um, you know, I, I think we have some complicated thoughts on warfare and, and all that, but, uh, in terms of other applications, you know, a lot of things come out of the military to start with and then, um, come into industry as well. And then I, I am just waiting for the day when we can see an interactive light show. Uh, in the sky using drones that one person is controlling with VR and voice. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Barry, what are your initial reactions to this article?
1: Oh, I love this so much. Um, it's clearly a massive springboard for an, an, a huge number of, of applications, and there's exploitation in everything from undersea exploration through to, well, my favorite as I go on about quite a lot that, you know, the colonization of Mars, you know, the, the ability to remote control, not only just one vehicle, but multiple vehicles to do different things is, is clearly where we need to be and where we need to go. So clearly the big breakthrough here is being able to control, you know, and engage with that group and putting forward, I guess, an intent of doing things, um, and allowing the individual elements of that swarm or that group or that cluster to interpret the intent. That's really, really clever. But also we need, that is where we need to start thinking about and where people have concerns about the application of autonomy. And this is going to be, this is in the military domain and it does throw up a whole lot of other issues, which I think we'll, we'll get into a bit later, but fundamentally how cool is that? <laughs> it's pretty neat. I mean,
0: like, I, I think to me, the the AI on board that would try to interpret what you as an operator are trying to do is one of the bigger challenges. And speaking of challenges, I think what we should do maybe is to break down, at least, you know, from, from a human factors perspective, what some of these challenges of remote aviation are or sort of remote control drone piloting today. Those types of things. Uh, We have a source here from uh, the human factors guidelines for unmanned aircraft systems. This is by Alan Hobbs, Beth Lyle. Uh, Hopefully I said those right anyway. But there's there's a lot of really good information in here and we've kind of chunked them by category. So maybe we go through one by one uh, and talk about these Um, and we'll start with sort of reduced sensory cues. So as a as a pilot. Of an unmanned aircraft, you know, you're kind of looking at um, a different view than you might if you were piloting a a physical aircraft, right? If you think about piloting a physical aircraft, you can look out and get a sense of your surroundings because you can look out the window, you can see how far away from the ground you are, from other objects you are, from other drones or aircraft you are. And you don't really have that with uh, piloting drones. You have, um, you know, (laughs) you don't have this additional, I guess, sixth sense of of uh airborne proprioception if you want to call it that <laughs> i don't know but you don't have that additional sense to assist with na- things like navigation or collision avoidance or weather awareness even um and and sort of the absence of these other sensations make it really difficult to monitor the state of what's going on in the environment so uh you know the the solution is really onboard cameras um they help with this the image of of the field of view, but maybe don't paint the whole picture that you would get from all the other senses acting in harmony while you're in an aircraft, right?
1: Uh, yeah. yeah. You want to take the next yeah, one here? Yeah. Well I think just to add to that as well, it's the because uh, it's one of the issues we get out of simulation as well is the is the application of G and no which ways up. And so then other senses that you sort of take for granted um, are completely removed in in or can be completely removed in that situation. Um, the other bit is is just the whole tethering of the um, the unmanned aircraft with with the um, with the controller. So that control link, you know, how the how the instructions are transmitted between the two. So the unmanned air system pilot, um, this isn't just unmanned air systems; it's it's any sort of remote uh, remote capability. They must monitor and anticipate the quality of the control link, and be prepared for link interruptions because the link latencies may make direct manual control difficult. And may disrupt voice communications when they're relayed via the video link. It's quite a common problem now. Actually, even in manned aircraft, that we almost take the uh, the the computer generated uh, instructions for granted. The you know, without without the ability to sort of have a sense check and understanding that maybe the the data you're getting isn't perfect and isn't quite right. So you've always got to be um, aware that just because the computer says what it is the computers it isn't necessarily always right and be aware aware of that situation do you want to talk to talk to us about the physical characteristics of the control station
0: yes yeah, so you mentioned the the communication piece of it and and the control piece of it then there's actual the the control station itself right and there's a lot of uh there's a lot to consider here so if you think about a traditional aircraft um everything is very deliberately designed to be within reach of the operator at the times in which it makes sense to be in reach. And there's limited space in a cockpit. And so you might reach for a control because uh, you, it's a rare situation and you need to activate that control. And it's right there where you need it, where you'd expect it to be based on your training. Now look at a drone command station where Traditionally, you, you might have a little bit more space than a cockpit. You might be in, uh, you know, a, a slightly bigger room. Sometimes not. Sometimes, yeah. And so if you think about that, it's much easier to just go, hmm, all right, we need this additional capability. Let's put the controls over here. And And so it's kind of like bolt-on attachments to these controls without really thinking through necessarily where those controls are placed in relation to everything else in that physical control system. And so, you know, these displays may not be as easily accessible Um and they they might not reflect how it is in a cockpit. And so even if you have that training as a pilot, you might not have the same training as a drone pilot. And and it might be difficult to kind of uh, enforce these. Um, Sort of procedures if it's if it's in an office environment versus uh, an air, aircraft where you're, uh every action is life affirming. You know, I think yeah, that yeah. is kind of the difference. Um, you want to talk about this next point here?
1: Yeah. So one of the big things that with unmanned air systems is generally the where where they take off. The, the person who manages the takeoff is not the same person who controls the mission. And so you have to have that transfer of control. So control of the unmanned aircraft may be transferred during ongoing operations between adjacent control stations um, or between geographically separated entities um, or geographically separated control stations. If transfer does involve a risk of mode errors, inconsistencies um, between the control stations or just miscommunication. And these happen on, um, so that transfer happens at least twice on every mission. When you so you, they, they take off and then they transfer to the remote station to carry out the mission, and then it goes back to the local control to land it again. In the story that we're talking about, we this won't be happening just once, it'll be happening 130 times. So, actually, how do we make the, the certain elements there is when you transfer that control, how do you understand that you've got control of all of your swarm, not just the one? So, I think that's gone, that's quite interesting because we as humans can only remember so many things in our brains at any one time. And so you've got to hold almost at the status and have that status displayed to you, which I think is going to be quite interesting. Do you want to pick yeah. up the next point? Yeah, you mentioned that that sort of
0: unconventional uh, aspect of being able to uh, one person start the flight, another person do the mission, another person land. It's a shared responsibility. And with that, there's a bunch of other unconventional characteristics of some of these unmanned aircraft uh, where you might have... Um, I don't know, different flight patterns uh, and different rates of climb that are not, uh, you know, typical of of regular aircraft, it might actually present more challenges for air traffic controllers. And so you'd have to navigate that with them. Uh, The pilot might actually be required to interact with other systems that aren't present on traditional aircraft as well. So you might have things like electric propulsion, uh, fuel cells, catapult launch systems, these other things that. um you know I did mention there's kind of the the start the middle part of the mission and then the finish you want to talk about the finish
1: yeah so when you come into um to finish the flight or terminate the flight you you're in that situation where you assume that um, um air systems will not be used to carry passengers therefore in an emergency a UAS, UAS pilot may choose to destroy the aircraft by ditching it or by other means rather than attempt a landing that could present a risk to people or property on the ground, but that's going to evolve over time. I think um, not only where it's, it's not just about what they're carrying in terms of passengers, but also um, what ordnance they might be carrying, what um, what other stores they might be carrying that will make um, make their termination, uh, termination of the flight have different characteristics. So that that's going to be quite a um, interesting evolution.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a different calculus because instead of where can I land, where can I land, it's do I save this aircraft or attempt to save this aircraft or do I you know uh do I end the flight and and try to where can I land that will minimize casualties where can I land that will uh you know reduce the ability for um adversaries to retrieve our data a couple stories on this actually before we go on there was a recent YouTube influencer stunt uh I guess that um some YouTube influencer took their aircraft up in uh, up, uh, up and and they they I guess faked a, a, an emergency landing and so they ended up crashing their aircraft uh all for YouTube views um, and there's a lot of evidence that points to that actually happening yeah the other story is that uh the US Navy actually just recently lost an aircraft in the South China Sea uh, because it fell off one of their ships uh, yes. and um that's a pretty big deal so like if if you think about everything that's on board uh you know especially with we'll get away from that but talking about drones here think about everything that's on board all that data collection that they've done one the adversary will know what you've collected on them two they can sort of reverse engineer your technology and understand uh weaknesses in that technology and it introduces a whole bunch of other factors here um There's no real way to jump into it I'm going to jump into reliance on automation here. Um, So with some of these traditional transport aircraft there's the ability to turn on or uh, minimize turn off or minimize the um, the autopilot system right and transition to sort of manual control the aircraft uh, when you need to even if um, this is accomplished by fly by wire systems. So the nature of these unmanned systems with the pilot remote from the unmanned aircraft, it'll actually require additional reliance on other automated systems to let you know when basic flight control um, is necessary, when you need to jump in and, and uh, sort of manually take over. So I guess it's, it's an added layer between that autopilot on and off that is another piece of automation that can tell whether or not auto uh, autopilot should be on or off. And and that I guess is the point is that there's these redundant layers of automation that are built uh, on top of each other that will hopefully help the operator fly these things. But then there's just so many things that you have to consider that are different from traditional aircraft.
1: Yeah. And I think there, there is a change in behavior here as well, because the you know, traditionally, we automatically assume that you need to revert back to human control because that is the safest way of doing things. But actually, certainly with, with a lot of military systems now, it's almost the the computer has to take over to be the safest mode of operation rather than, uh, rather than human, because the computer can think faster and uh, make decisions quicker um and there's loads of interesting examples and i'm trying to think if i can actually talk about one so i'm probably not going to um but the the idea that the um that the with the uas that you're that you want to be, almost take away from the human control so the so the uas itself can get it get itself out of trouble and then hand control back sa- when it's said yes i'm actually back in a stable stable position you can carry on now um which is just a complete changing culture to what we used to um, I'll pick up the last one as well in terms of how we use the interfaces themselves and what they're based on. So current control stations increasingly resemble office workstations, keyboard, mouse or trackball or, or, you know, that sort of interface device. and interface is operating on consumer computer software. Some control stations are housed entirely on a laptop computer. A control station that controls and displays source from diverse uh, commercial off-the-shelf providers is likely to suffer from a lack of consistency in other integration issues. So, how we take on the um, the, the workstation of of the future isn't going to look like a um, you know a replica um, flight interface of, of what we used to and what we think uh, a drone informe- drone control system would look like. It's going to look like a uh, command and control system, a little 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 command and control. You're going to tell it where to go and what to do, not necessarily how to do it. Oh yeah, or in this case, it could look like VR.
0: And I'm curious as to what I guess you know what the actual interface is for this technology that we're talking about in this story, Mm -hmm. because it is VR. So are they using like a video game controller? Um, Since you know a lot of a lot of younger uh, sailors, soldiers, uh, pilots are. Of a demographic who plays video games, and so that's a very yeah. natural uh, way to interact with these weapons of war. <laughs> it's like a video I mean, game. It's, controller.
1: it's baked into the design now. So the whole, yeah. the whole evolution of um, so here in the UK we have uh, we have a tank called the Challenger Two. The the gun controller and the command controller are based on the PlayStation control handles, and that was a proper design feature. So you knew that pe- the the um, younger de- demographic coming in would automatically feel at whole uh, feel at home using that set of hand grips. Yeah. And, and even now, so like using the VR and AR for training and things like that, it's built on the, um, the game engines that people are used to. So um, these kids are coming in automatically being part of that gamer generation. They can automatically use the stuff because they're like, well, why wouldn't I be using this type of thing? Um, so, And it it, it, that reduce the amount, the impact that has on training and the reduction in cost in training just to be able to take advantage of that is so huge. Um, yeah, it's real. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, let's carefully talk
0: about our experience with this type of stuff because we both worked on projects that we can't release some details on. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be skirting this carefully. So I'll start. Um, have worked in the military domain and yeah, this checks out. Right. There's a lot of research and development right now being spent on how to reduce the likelihood that casualties would occur. And um, that does uh, sort of line up with. um, There's all the complicated ethics of of warfare that we've talked about on the show before, but really it comes down to how can we save lives and eliminate the people that are really, you know, taking more basically the the uh, the calculus of how many lives will be saved by, you know, taking out somebody else. And it's a complicated topic that is very hard to talk about sometimes, um, and even harder to navigate working on types of projects that get close to that. Uh, so in terms of like my experience with remote control, uh, drones, minimal, We'll say minimal, but it is there, and and yes, this checks out. Barry, what's your experience if you want to carefully
1: skirt? <laughs> yes, I think I'll um I'll pick some because this is the, <laughs> this is this is my domain. Um, I spent the best part twenty years working in defense and in the R and D element, and like you say, it definitely checks out. It has definitely been high profile. I mean, I think I worked on my first AI remote AI sort of swarming type project. It'll be cracky fifteen years ago um when i first had to, to look at sort of the the idea of distributed control distributed um uh, distributed autonomy um and so it is definitely there the the real key things for me with this is um some of the biggest challenges are being able to keep that level of situational awareness um for the operator and how do we um how do you give the commands in a way that is reducing the burden on on that person um, that they automate, they know what is going on at any one time, and then in, and it's still considered safe. So, the influence of autonomy. So it's not just artificial intelligence, but we we talking about autonomy and the different le- levels of autonomy that, that we have here, and and artificial te- intelligence and that them associated technologies um, are so key. It, it's a lot of stuff coming together at, at one time. And quite a nice, um, quite nice, quite a nice um, point point here. But the bit you talk about with ethics, that is huge. And it's, it, we're at that point now where um, we've always gone along with the principle, certainly in the UK, well, certainly in most Western countries as well, is that we have this human in the loop scenario, no matter what level of autonomy you get to the person or the, the, the element that says that um, a weapon can take a life is a human decision. And at that point that it's happening. So somebody has to pull the trigger, press a button, give a command to say, yes, that's going to happen. And where we get now with this is, um, and the whole point of that is it, it's it's that whole human makes a decision to, make, to take a human life. Fine, we get
0: that. Well, it, it even gets a little more complicated than that, too, because the systems are designed in such a way to spread that responsibility across multiple individuals to where... It may not be as clear who actually took the life. Is it the person who pulled the trigger? Is it the person that ordered it? Is it the person that uh, found the intelligence that yeah. then led to those decisions? It's a lot of things going into
1: this, right? It's it's not just a a black that's, and white decision. No, idea. But um, from a policy perspective, that's that's where yeah. where it it's at. So, but yes, they if that person made that decision, what what was the evidence base that they made that decision on? But then. There is almost a flip side of that. And some work we've been looking at recently has kind of flipped that question on its head to a certain extent to explore it in terms of, is it ethical? If I've got a way of keeping my troops safe, is it ethical to put a delay there? So if I've got a delay to make a decision to um, to protect my team, to protect my troops, um, I've got a system that would automatically detect a threat and then be able to eliminate that threat is it ethical for me to put a, a a pause in there for a human for a human to say yes when actually if they don't make the decision in time they could then be eliminated so that was like number one and then the other part of um some some things we've been well question we've been asking is in order for a um, human operator to make a decision to make the uh, to make to make that decision they generally have to be close by to what's going on because you have to have the right intelligence, at the right time to do all that sort of stuff. Do we need to do that? If, if the person is at the other side of the globe, um, how um, how right is that decision to be made? Um, because if you don't have, do you have to smell the same air? Um, and things like that, which is a phrase we've used a couple of times. So the whole ethics thing is is getting more complicated because of technology, a lot of people thought that this would simplify it. Um, and it's really not. It's it's making it way more um, intrinsic because it's it's made us really put a hu- more value on human life as less humans have been involved in the battlefield. Um, yeah. So where is the, you know, do we get to a point where essentially you've got two computers fighting each other with a couple of controllers at the at the end? Is that truly war? What what? Where is the... Where uh, where is the social value in war at that point? Because actually it's just two people having you know the equivalent of robot wars. Um, how does all this? How, where does it end? You know. Yeah. Uh, so the, as as the technology gets better and in theory the the um, the burden on the soldier, the sailor, the um, the, the the person in the air force, um, I... their job, in theory. Well, it's not just pilots in the Air Force. Yes, no, I know. I know. Uh, Obviously, I know. Air, air crew is, is kind of what I usually fall down to, but actually, that's not true either. So, um, but the, you know what I mean? The, this whole, the, as their job theoretically gets easier because of automation, actually, everyone else's job, society's job gets harder because we need to think about these questions in, in more detail. So, whilst it's, it, it is sort of that's verging off the human factors realm itself in terms of what we do in terms of interfaces and things like that. Actually, we are getting to that that point where human factors should be helping answer the bigger questions.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think uh, ethics in human factors is a really important topic. And I'm glad we we brought this up. And um, you know, all the points that you just made are exactly why I got out of it, and <laughs> and now I'm in supply chain logistics, just making sure you have toilet paper on your shelves. So you know what, it's a lot less offensive. And <laughs> let's actually break down this article though, because we've been we've been skirting a lot of the uh, human factors issues with drone technology. I do want to make sure we have some time to really break this down Uh, because again, this is one person controlling a drone swarm of 130 drones, physical drones plus 30 virtual drones too. And I think that's, that's one thing that, you know, we don't include here in the headline is that yes, it is 130 physical drones, but there's also 30 virtual drones as well. Um, And there's a couple key points here that Raytheon uh, makes in their, um, in their press release here that are really interesting tidbits that I think we should dig into. Uh, So the first one I want to jump into is controlling a drone swarm changes the way an operator or group of operators think about the drones. Um, So some of these issues that we were talking about with the single drone piloting um, the human factors issues those might actually go away and introduce new issues there. Um, But they say the takeaways from the exercise help us inform the inflection points between utility and manageability. And so they're thinking about all these types of things as they're putting together these controls. Um, Barry, were there any key takeaways from either the press release or the article
1: that you want to discuss? Yeah, I mean, I guess when you look at some of this, using the using, using the Swarm capability, um, you not just you not just got one perspective you can look behind buildings to access the the view of drone locations um you use the virtual reality environment to um train and to test and see if your mission is viable so you can do a whole lot of stuff beforehand um before you actually get into your um, in, into the mission itself so use cuz the environment that you're using is either is the same whether you're flying it for real or you're you're doing a training part um, you, you can use the same environment because all you're doing is put a synthetic end to uh, synth- synth- synthetic into the output. That's where the thirty um, um, uh, simulated drones were so important. With this, it's because that they, that's that's proving that you can have the, um, uh, the, the the training capability there. So you can actually practice, and you might only have one or two live drones, but you can augment it with you know a whole swarm and still have that training capability for the pilots to make sure that they can do what they do. So have a look at the entire package um, is it, quite a big deal.
0: Yeah, I agree. The only the other thing that I want to bring up here with the article, and I felt like this was tacked on uh to the article itself. <laughs> they brought up the fact that they added in some uh speech commands, and there's a whole slew of human factors issues associated with voice commands, uh, and I won't get into those right now. It's just interesting that they're thinking about this as a, an additional um way to provide input or commands to the drone swarm itself um you know th- that's interesting to me another piece that i thought was just um well as somebody who <laughs> studies and is interested in vr i like i don't know i it's it's super interesting when you think about the various viewpoints that you'll have from this. I mean, you you mentioned being able to look at the back of a building um, in a VR environment. And I almost wonder, you know, what kind of, vr environment are they building is it just from the perspective of the drones i would think not i think these drones are probably actively building a 3d representation of the environment that the drone operator then can navigate through similar to like how google earth works in in vr where you can just kind of pinch and zoom and really get up close and like bend around and look at a you know building from all angles as if you were you know a massive entity um, based on all the data that's being collected by the swarm, and if you need to get a live feed of something, like looking at a specific window, if a drone's just kind of hanging out, you could switch to that view and actually see a live feed. You know, I, the model wouldn't actually build that. It'd be good. The model building software or or you know, behind the scenes algorithms that build that would be great for things like mission planning. Um, but it wouldn't give you that live context of what's actually going on, which is where you'd want to switch over to those individual drones. I don't know. Just a couple interesting points that I wanted to make. Any last words on this article or human factors issues with drones?
1: Yeah, I think the final thing for me is actually the they talk a lot about swarming of drones, um, and actually that's that's quite a specific phrasing they use because um, you can either you have swarms, you can have flocks of drones. They all talk. about they they all lend themselves to working in different ways. I think this is um, it is going to be interesting. I think the it's, it's going to be as much about how to keep the the operators um, in the loop of situational awareness in order to make the right decisions at the right time in a, in a compelling way. Um, but i think it's also it's the it's it's the start of something bigger i think we are going to be talking about um I, I think 130 drones is going to be nothing in the grand scheme of things and as the the ability to control more drones becomes more prevalent then the smaller drones are going to get um, because you can just throw more technology at it because you can have the reliance in the control um it's interesting but it but one of the comments we made right at the beginning i think is a, is the big one is yes this is we talking about this in the military domain but the application of this is is much broader um we can see some real benefit across this through a whole lot of domains um co- co- uh, in the future
0: yeah surveying ecological locations or you know any, anything that you can think of that would require a lot of surveillance of uh, an area or even being able to control these massive entities uh, in the sky, I think could also be um, another application. I'm thinking like Super Bowl because that thing's coming up, right? A sports, I don't know. You follow sports now. You think about a big drone display in the sky that, you know, one person is controlling that has advertisements for Budweiser.
1: That's true. Yeah. Uh, Uh, So Super Bowl's on this Sunday. Yeah. um, I'm hoping, hoping to, to see a controlled. Kenobi trailer. <laughs> that's, that's the only reason why I will be watching. <laughs>
0: All right, let's get out of here. Uh, the, 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 out of the article, anyway. We still got more show. So thank you to our patrons this week for selecting our topic. And uh, thank you to our friends over at Futurism and Raytheon for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to the original articles on our weekly roundups on our blog. You can also join us on our Discord for more discussion on these stories. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this.
2: Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us.
0: Yes, huge thank you as always to our patrons, especially want to thank our honorary Human Factors Cast staff patrons, Michelle Tripp, patrons like you keep the show running. Thank you for your continued support. Uh, a couple notes that I want to make before we get on with the show here. Uh, one, did you know that we do a pre and a post show? Uh, pre show is a lot of times us answering community questions that don't quite make it on the show. And the post show is often a lot of times us addressing additional things from the main story that we didn't actually get to if you want to watch those those are available on all of our video platforms our patrons actually do get a full audio version of the pre and post show so that's another thing that you can do with patreon Uh, wanted to mention that but we also I I also want to mention this one uh, because this is something that I don't think we we talk about enough Uh, we have a discord. and uh, it, it's a great way to get involved with talking with other human factors professionals from all over the world. We have people from Australia, uh, people from, I don't know, where else are people from, Barry? <laughs> like I, I don't know. I'm like over here in the UK just enjoying enjoy myself on my Discord, you know? Exactly. We we actually have um, access to a lot of resources that we have got our hands on over the last couple of years. Um, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've had discussions about cloud gaming, NFTs, even more context around some of the questions that we actually talk about on the show. Uh, You can even chat with others in voice channels although I haven't really seen that you know maybe maybe I'll make it a point to like jump in every now and then. Um, And it's also where we do our lab chat and our lab work for the digital media lab there's another plug for it Uh, that's hidden to the public but at least you know it's an effective tool for getting stuff done and that a lot of people in the lab are on there you can always ask us questions. Uh, Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and get into this next part of the show that we like to call.
2: It came from.
0: It came from. Yes, it came from this week. It's all Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics that the community is talking about. No matter where you're watching, if you find any of these answers helpful or useful, please give us a like to just help other people find this content. It's actually helps more than you might think. All right, so let's get into, uh, we have three tonight, um, and it looks like maybe we put them in the wrong spot, but that's okay. We'll, <laughs> let me tackle it here. Uh, the first one here is uh, by SiaKine. I probably said that incorrectly on the user experience subreddit. They say, I have an opportunity to do two projects in the final semester of my senior year. What types of projects would be the most impressive to an employer, or what types of projects are underrated and fun? I'm wanna write, like the title said, I have the opportunity to do an independent study with my excellent UX professor. Uh, in the past, we've redesigned websites, used content management systems, created events with touch points. He's also done research, case study writings, um, please let me know what type of projects have you have uh, taught you the most about yourself and what I should consider looking into doubling down on current niches or become a little bit more diverse in what I know. Thank you so much. Barry, what types of projects? Um, let, let's, let's kind of flip the script. Uh, wh- what kind of projects as a potential prospective employer are you looking at in, in new applicants?
1: Oh can we, can we invoke the it depends button I guess to a certain in, but it, it it first time tonight um it really does i mean for me yeah oh check that out that's cool <laughs> i, it, need, a I that need a png i need a png cuz it's not- i like that <laughs> um yeah completely lost to you if you're listening to this on audio but um but nick just put up a big it depends thing on the uh, on uh, on the screen um so for me as an employer i'm looking for something that showcases your ability and really what interests you because if if we're doing something that interests you then it means you're motivated to do it therefore it means you're putting you, your effort you put a bit of you into into what you're developing specifically i think what is a real thing at the moment um, and what would really tick a load of boxes for me is data is everywhere but information and knowledge are seriously lacking so everything's that you know with iot and, and them sort of projects if you can show a, um, a map with loads of data points on it, or you've got a, you know, you've got some charts or things like that, that you're doing some really good UI, um, and some. whereas I tend to fall asleep to a certain extent. Um, it's about making meaningful inf- information and knowledge out of the data. So if you, if you want to focus on something about taking, you know, I've seen some really cool things around, um, you know studies of 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 twitter for example where you've got a um, number of tweets posted in a certain area around around certain topics and you I've seen some really good ways that that's been displayed and some really bad ways that's displayed if it's displayed well it can give you such rich information about what's going on about a certain topic where if it's really badly displayed then it just tells you that there's well there's a lot of people who've got not um, much more things to do or should be doing better things so fundamentally how do you how do you turn data into knowledge um, also data into information in a meaningful way and so if you could do that as if you can show that in in a fun in a fun way to in a way that you, that's motivated you to do it then you've hit something that would um, almost guarantee that i would give you a job so there yeah. you go go, 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 go do, do that and then then you can come work for me good good uh good
0: feedback um i'm i'm gonna answer this in a frustrating way uh <laughs> This is one of the ones in the pre-show that I was like, oh, I, I really have a specific answer for this and I want to answer it. So the question is, what would be uh, a project that would be most impressive to an employer? As somebody who's been involved uh, in, in the direct hiring process, one thing that always uh, sticks out to me is when a candidate can be honest about encountering challenges and how they react to those challenges uh, during the course of a project. And so... I am almost advocating for putting yourself into a situation where you know you're going to fail the first time around because being able to um, react to these challenges and pivot in a way that's different from your original approach is incredibly crucial to a lot of industry's work because you won't always get it your way. You won't always have the tools that you want. You won't always have the resources that you need. You won't always have the access to users that you might want either. And so you have to make some of these decisions based on other information. And so for me, if I was looking at a, a project that you were doing, I would say, OK, well, what challenged you about this project? What kind of wrench was thrown into this thing? I'm not looking for a, a picture perfect piece from start to finish. Um, you can talk about your process all you like, but I want to hear about the challenges that you encountered and how you reacted to those, Mm because I feel like that is an unspoken skill that a lot of people maybe don't know how to answer in job interviews. And so that's, there you go. That's, that's some feedback. Uh, (laughs) let's get into this next one here. Uh, Barry, you chose this one. Whiteboarding challenge prep help. This is by icy egg nine, two, four, four on the user experience subreddit. I've only done one whiteboard challenge and it was kind of awkward. Um, I've read a lot of articles on whiteboarding challenges, but I'm still nervous about it. Given my uh, last experience, I don't fully understand how you make decisions without the ability to validate uh, either quantitatively or qualitatively. Can someone walk me through what a successful whiteboard challenge looks like? I'm open to any and all advice. Um, So, Barry, let's just
1: explain what a whiteboard challenge is and then how do you tackle it? Well, fundamentally, um, I use the the whiteboard, or the whiteboard challenge as as a discovery method um, of working out, sitting down with your customer, uh, client, or users, and allowing you to allowing the entire group to freely use that space to firstly depict what it is that we're trying to do in the first place, and then get to a level of of understanding what the what the output should look like. But the whole piece is. People get scared by it, I think, because in many ways, yes, there is the structure behind it. There is, um, that's that type of organization, but it's actually quite a, a free experience. Um, because you don't, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get, you know, it's not like other workshopping structures where you can, it's quite, you can quite rigidly control how you run a workshop. Whereas this, you can start off with the best of intentions and then end up being somewhere completely different. And you have to have a lot of faith in you yourself the, the 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 group that you're with um and and the ability to get down there so um yeah i think that's well that's the way i use this uh, uh use this as a, as a as a tool um what's your what's your version of a of whiteboarding challenge because I, I do think in the ux world and in the hf world we do, we do use the uh, the terminology differently yeah whiteboard is such a nebulous term um you can use a
0: whiteboard for many things and so that's kind of why I asked you to define it because I use it (laughs) in a lot of different ways. The intent of a whiteboard is to sort of get something uh, non-permanent in front of people's faces so that they feel comfortable adjusting and Mm -hmm. adapting as conversation and discourse uh, naturally occur. And so when you have um, something on the board uh, that you want to sort of modify, it's easy to just erase it and, and do something else to it. I think if, if we're talking about just white I think there's some better methods than doing that. use the whiteboard in conjunction with Post-it notes and now mm-hmm. we're now we're now we're talking. Uh, but if we're just talking about a whiteboard, I think the important things is to write down important information and keep that kind of off to one side and then maybe explore, I don't know workflows on a different part and that part is very malleable. You can adjust that as you need. The other part might be, I don't know, an interface based on those workflows. And so there's a there's a variety of ways to use a whiteboard yeah. um, as it relates to user interface. I think a lot of people probably just draw up interfaces um, and, and talk it through with a design team. And I think that's fine. Uh, but having the context of the other stuff is important, too. And so, again, the, the point is to have something that's not permanent, not a pen and paper, um, not a permanent record of it, but rather a, a, an exercise to get everybody engaged
1: and involved. It's an interesting bit about that is we actually ran one of these yesterday um, and one of my newer team members, um, it was his first whiteboard session, his first discovery session with me. And, um, and he was, in fact, he, took, he told me afterwards, but I, I sort of knew before we got in, he was really nervous because we it was literally three of us in the room. We had the, um, the, the user, um, me and him. So I was basically facilitating and, and, and working through the session. And I was like, you come in, you can listen. You can, if you feel like you want to shout up, shout up. You know, it's not a closed session at all. You need, it's not, um, if you're in the room, then you're part of the team, part, you're part of the experience. Um, and for the first, so we were actually running the session for about two and a half hours in the end. I expected about an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, and it, it just worked. It was, it was a really good event. And, um, but it wasn't till afterwards, he was like, he started putting comments about halfway through. Um, and you could tell he was starting to be that bit more confident and it's about doing that it's about being able to have the facilitated space and we've spoken about this before but whoever's leading it facilitating the space that anybody can say what what it is that they want to say there's no stupid questions um except I, if i'm asking them because i tend that that tends to be a thing that i do a lot um as, as a method um and you know just allow people to do stuff and it's it's i find it i find them a joy to lead. Because if you get them right, you know you've got them right. If you get them wrong, then it's a bit disappointing. But um, you know, but you know you can finish them early. So I think they're. Um, I, I really like them. They're. Um, and if you've only got one whiteboard, that's a disappointment. You need two or three. <laughs> hey,
0: remind me in the post show to talk about fluid ounces when you said no stupid questions. And yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be it actually, because this is Nick from the future here. Our show actually crashed while we were doing a live recording although we didn't notice this until about 25 minutes later. So there's 10 minutes of show that you missed and about uh, 15 minutes of post-show until, you know, everything got wrapped up. So anyway, we did answer a question uh, about sort of what to do to address your weaknesses. We'll go ahead and address that on next week's show. We also talked about our one more things. Uh, Barry was really into the Winter Olympics, and I talked about my mods for the Oculus Quest 2. And uh, I'm just kind of recapping everything for you since you missed it. And it really sucks. Uh, There was some good stuff in there. Um, With that Oculus Quest 2 stuff, I was really jazzed about the physical hardware. And we did actually uh, release a poll on our Instagram to see if you all wanted to see us do reviews. If that is something you want to see, let us know. I am going to wrap it up right now. Uh, But we will be back next week. Hopefully, all the technical issues ironed out. That's it for today, everyone. If you liked this episode and enjoy some of the discussion about remote operation of drones, we do invite you to go listen to episode 203, Flying a Helicopter on Mars. Comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For a more in-depth discussion, you can always join us on our Discord community. Like I mentioned, there's plenty of fun stuff to do over there. You can visit our official website, sign up to date for for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, that we want to support the show. There's a couple things you can do. One, wherever you're at, you can stop right now. You can leave us a five-star review, despite the technical issues in this episode. Two, you can tell your friends about us. That actually really helps the show grow. Word of mouth really helps uh, other people find the show because they trust your opinion. Three, if you want to support us financially so we can get a better, I don't know, system to record stuff with and this won't happen again in the future although we've been doing this for about 30 episodes and it hasn't anyway really really upset about it <laughs> but you can always support us financially on patreon there's a bunch of other benefits to that too as always links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode barry kirby would have said thank you for listening but he is long asleep Uh, And you all can find him on Twitter at Baz underscore K. He's also the host of 1202, the Human Factors podcast, a sister podcast to this one. And you can find that at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome, uh, complaining about technology. And thank you again for tuning into Human Factors cast. Have a wonderful evening. Take care of yourself until next time. It depends.